what motivates you during bad times about the company about the company okay for me it's seeing the progress in people that's what really motivates me and keeps me keeps me working is Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of Hackcast Season 3. This is episode number 10. It's me, Rado. It's me, Ivo. And it's me, Kamen. We're already recording uh, voice, so yeah, let's let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for the final episode, we are going to, uh, as usual, as we did in Season 2, we're going to answer your questions. That's why we have a sheet of papers in front of us and uh, some kind of pens, I think where we're going to um, mark the questions that we have already answered. And, of course, we will pick, after we, we're done recording, we will pick 10 of you and we will send you those beautiful Hacksoft swag boxes. We've already done an unboxing video, so you most probably know what's inside, but just so you know, those boxes are coming to you. And Kevin, what do you have in front of you? I have the DAS Keyboard 6, which is awesome. I hope most of you have heard about it. We are going to gift this DAS keyboard, this exact copy of DAS keyboard, uh, to one of you when we reach 1,000 subscribers. So subscribe. And we are currently at uh, 600. So at the time of recording, it's yeah. not even halfway there. It's past the halfway there. So yeah, we're we're going to do this, and I will I will take this from you, Ivo. Would you like to say something? Um, hey guys, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So. The general idea of this episode is to go through all questions that you have asked us on YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and some bonus questions from Teddy. Hi, Teddy. And yeah, let's let's start. We have around twenty questions, so it should take. Yeah, let's let's see how long it's going to take. I will be reading the questions, and if some someone you want to answer, just start answering, and then uh, we'll see how it goes. Questions from YouTube. First question, I will be reading them as is. I have one question. How do you scale or transition from being a developer working solo for a single project on a contract, then to many projects, and then finally forming a software development company? That's the first question. That's a good question. It seems like a hard transition. Why? Why is it a hard transition? Well, yeah, I've been working solo on, on projects for, for a couple of years and it easily creates the illusion that software development is easy and it's all about coding uh, and transition, transitioning to first transition to have uh, many projects as a sole developer is not always scaling in a good way because you can't actually work in a couple projects at the same time being a sole developer. And normally, if you're a solo developer, you're working on smaller things that are not as complex as, let's say, something that requires, like, let, let's say, 10 people to work on. Yeah. So this, I guess the first step is just to find a, a team and start working with other people, doing software development with other people uh, in order to uh, establish some, some good freedom to communicate with people and uh, start actually doing software development. Because writing yeah. code solo on a project is not really... A good process for for software development depending on the project but yeah. most projects will require additional additional hands and additional brains the, uh, there is a lot of it. skills and things you need to know in order to start working in a team and i guess the best way to to, to learn it is to 
actually start working in a team. Yep. Kevin, uh, do you have anything to add? I was thinking when you read that question that if you are just starting in development and you think that this is going to be the way it goes, like you start with a single project, then you get a couple of projects and then you form a company, it's not. I mean, <laughs> it's <laughs> you have a lot, a lot to learn. And if you've already worked in a big software company and you decide to have a company of your own and you, you decide to split and hire a team and and start a company of your own, then you know that it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, so yeah, if you're trying to do it alone without any help, without any friends, uh, you're gonna have a hard time. But it's, I mean, it's, it's possible. But like Ivo said, it's hard to scale a single person on a couple of projects if you wanna do it right. So that's, that's my thought. Well, uh, I see two questions here. One is for, for solo, working solo, working as a freelancer. Uh, I think uh, the answer there is productivity. Make sure to do whatever is necessary in order to be productive on a single project. And if you want to take on multiple projects, I think the key is figuring out uh, how many times can you switch contexts, like how many times can you do context switching in a week? So because if you are working on four different projects, in four different domains that have not very um, uh, much common between them, it's going to be really hard. But if you are working on four different projects that are kind of the same or and are in kind of in the same domain, then you can actually be quite productive uh, doing this solo, and you can work on multiple projects. So uh, my recommendation for solo folks would be focus on like like pick a niche. Uh, I know I know niche is not our thing. And we don't like this very much, but pick a niche and just focus on this because then you will yield some dividends uh, based on the experience that you have. And then transitioning to a company, it's all about working in the business versus working on the business. Working in the business means you're doing the work, you're, you're doing the software development work, while working on the business means you're trying to enable the folks that work in the business, the teams, to, uh, you're trying to enable them so they can do their job, they can they can ship, and then you can take on way more projects and way more clients, and it's it's a completely different mindset. And I know we have struggled with this uh, for quite some time during our during Hacksaw's history, and I think we have um, talked about this in uh, in the episode about team leads. Uh, but it's you you need to kind of uh, think about yourself as a bottleneck, and you need to start reducing the times where you are bottlenecking, bottlenecking your team and you have to start working more on enabling your teams and not necessarily doing all the job, all the work. So I think this is my take on the first question. It's a completely different mindset when you're transitioning from solo towards any kind of team and any kind of development. All right, I think this is answered. Question number two. <clears throat> I'll give my best to read it. While growing, how do you determine that you've reached or will reach a point that you need a dedicated person for a specific role? Question mark. For example, some startups do not have dedicated marketing, HR, accountant, office manager, and finance roles. At what point do you tell yourself as a CEO or CTO, I don't know which one of you did these tasks in the beginning, Hey, I'm spending quite so much time doing side tasks, so I cannot focus my on my main responsibilities, so I need to hire a dedicated person to do that. And then I'll read the bonus question. All right, so but it's basically the question is 
how do you determine it's time to hire someone for a specific role and not just do it yourself when working on a startup or working in a business? And I think I think this ties really well with the with the first question. Yeah, it's a good follow up. Again, at least from our experience, once we realize that we should not be working constantly in the business, but rather on the business and enable our team, uh, then you just start observing the different tasks and the amount of effort and time that they're they're going to take. And if, for example, if you're just doing solo marketing and this is taking a lot of your time, then I, and I would say more than more than two days per week, full time thinking, full time executing, you should most probably hire. Same with HR. I think for HR, for for example, we don't have an HR because we're uh, still a relatively small company, 35 people. And we can do HR pretty well because we're a small company. But if we get to 100 or even 50, then you will need someone dedicated because there is going to be enough operational work in a week, every week, for someone to be fully occupied by this. And then you need to hire for attention. I think this is this is the key thing. Whenever something is taking way too much attention from you, then you should hire someone dedicated that's going to put this attention towards this specific task. This this will be my generalization of the answer. And keep in mind that after you hire someone, there's going to be some amount of time in which you're going to have to teach that person how to do the job like you want to get the job done. And especially if the thing that you're doing is not your main thing and you're not feeling particularly uh, good at this, probably it's, it's a good idea to think about hiring someone that is passionate about this particular thing and uh, work with him. For example, Hacksoft, we have a dedicated marketing team because there's a lot of things going on with, with our marketing and it's it's paying off and there are going to be even more things that are uh, that we need that we are going to do. HR, as I said, we don't have one because we are effectively acting as HRs and it's still scalable. We have an accountant, shout out to Miglena. <laughs> it's still it's still uh it's still like we're doing fine with just yeah. a single accountant. Office manager, this is quite interesting. So right now this this is kind of a split role between uh several people in the office. Shout out to uh Danko. Uh because there's like you need to order from uh EBAC uh once or twice a week and then there's a there's someone that's that comes and cleans the office twice a week. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much th that the attention that you need to give to the office. If this attention grows and this attention is going to grow with us hiring more people, then for sure we will need to hire someone dedicated because there's going to be enough operational work every single week that's going to pull way too much way too much attention from the other folks. And then it's a good idea to have someone doing full time just this. Yeah. And once again, there is someone happy about doing the uh, office work, office-related yep. work, which is not creating the need of hiring someone. If if no one wants to do this, then probably we need to uh, look around for someone to, to to hire about this. But in this case, I guess it's fine. Yep. Finance role. Again, we are doing the finance role, but at at, at some point we will need someone dedicated to have all of their attention towards this particular role because right now we're a small company and doing finances 
takes a couple of days every month. Yeah. And that's if we hire someone, this someone is not going to be fully saturated. I mean, not even fully saturated. This particular person is not going to be interested in doing the work because there's there's not going to be that much work to be done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think this is again, this is again pretty key. And again, there is a situation where, for example, we are not a finance people at all, mm. and we are doing the, the the finance work, but we may not realize that we need a finance person because we are not really good at finance. I mean, yeah, th th there are things that finance yeah. finance people do, right? And we, we probably don't know about them, and that's why we don't realize. So, so the key is being proactive and ask your uh, friends and other people that are doing business, hey, what are your finance people doing? Are we missing something? And if yes, we probably need to hire someone. Because yeah. you can easily run in this situation where you are not hiring someone because you don't really know what this someone is supposed to do. Uh, yeah, I, there, this can stop. If you are overwhelmed by your finance work, you, you will eventually get to the point where you want to hire someone. But you mentioned something else that's quite interesting and that's uh, the awareness of your uh, strong and weak sides. And for example, we're not... We we don't have any financial uh, background yeah. or uh, education, but we can uh, Google search and uh, compile uh, spreadsheets together, so we can have something that helps us run the company. And we have to be aware that it most probably is uh, pretty bad, and we have to go to someone to consult us. And I think slowly but surely we are learning this for uh, various of other uh, tasks and roles. Exactly. So if you have to summarize, uh, a part of the question reads, uh, hey, I'm spending too much time on doing side tasks and I cannot focus on my main responsibilities. Actually, if you are the CEO or CTO of this company, that's your main responsibility. Yeah. Handling everything that is the side tasks that you mentioned. So whenever you want to scale one of those or you want to have someone take it off your back, then I think that's the, the time that you hire someone. It's orchestrating, basically. Mm -hmm. You need to start or orchestrating. Uh, because people, especially software developers, they usually fall in this trap where they think, I can do all of those 10 different tasks, and if I am doing one task at a time, I'm going to do this pretty well. But when I have to do six out of 10 in a single week, I'm most probably going to uh, half-ass uh, all, all of them. Yeah. So this is where, where you need to start hiring. And there is a bonus question. As I saw on your on your website that you have two people called Teodoro Georgieva. Mm -hmm. That's true. How do you call them within the office? I guess Teddy doesn't do the job. Is that right, Teddy? <laughs> so we have, uh, especially when we have to uh, dis, uh, distinguish them internally, we have Teddy Marketing and uh, Teddy QA, and uh, this does the job. You know. All right. Bonus question done. What are, according to you guys, Next question. What are, according to you guys, the major steps for starting a company? Choose a name. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to me, the first thing, I, I guess the most important thing, and I guess the first thing is to find good folks and start the company with them. Because otherwise, you need to hire them normally in the, um, in the um, early days, you don't have the budget for that. And uh, I guess the other alternative is to look for investment. But I don't know. I think starting your company with folks that you already know, you have worked in the past, and you start building the company together is, is a key thing. 
Um, I would even say start an academy, but um, that's way too specific. It really depends what you want to start, I think. If you want to start a startup, there are certain steps that will get you somewhere, have passion for something, um, build something that people actually need, something that's going to be uh, solving an actual problem. Uh, look for investment. If you're doing a startup, it's, I think, the way to go because you will you will need to burn some money in order to validate and test your idea. Uh, or if you just want to start a business and uh, slowly build something that... Uh, um, gives you meaning and gives you pleasure then you need to start working on this as soon as possible and you need to be very well aware of the financial part of it i think this would be my recommendation learn how to create spreadsheets and learn how to calculate your uh, expenses and your potential revenue and see what's going to make sense or not so but first figure out what you want to start is it a startup or is it just a regular normal business for example hacksoft is not a startup we don't treat ourselves as a startup it's a regular normal business that we want to grow little by little and not just explode and then sell yeah that, that's why i assumed that this question is more about starting uh, not a startup but a company yeah. like like hacksoft uh plenty of materials on the internet for sure start consuming uh, channels and books about this topic uh to better understand what you want to do that's that's really key that's really key i would say find a client <laughs> like if, if yeah, you want to start a, yeah, company that's a good one and you don't have a product uh, and you just want to have a company that makes products or uh, creates stuff for other people you have to have a client otherwise there's no money and there's no other people to work with you so um Sure, that's that's pr that's a, something pretty good. Yeah, find a client, S find someone who's going to pay you money for whatever you want to sell or provide as a service, and treat your clients well. Oh yeah, especially in a small country like Bulgaria. Next question. This is all right. If most of the businesses are on LinkedIn, why should we even care to promote our business to business B two B on Instagram? especially when it's software development company. Can we skip Instagram and Facebook and use other platforms like LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter for promoting our B2B software company? I ask this because Instagram distracts distract me always. Smiley face. It is distractive. Distracting, yeah. Distracting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, like... You need different channels because you are targeting uh, different people and different moods, I would say. People yeah. consume... Like, this is this is coming from... Uh, I don't know if you folks are watching some of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's work, but like this is one of his uh, arguments. People consuming Instagram are in a specific mood for consuming Instagram, and then you can position yourself for this particular and specific mood and people are consuming LinkedIn with a different mindset. So uh, different channels for first reaching different groups and then your content and your creative should be adapted uh, to the channel. And that's why you want to, if you need to be on Instagram, then you go to Instagram. If you just need to be on LinkedIn, then just start with LinkedIn. For example, for us, we are on almost all of the social media because we have different goals. LinkedIn is quite business-oriented, while Instagram is employer branding. TikTok is also employer branding. Twitter is for technical topics, 
and YouTube is the mix of all, like various different topics, various different videos. So that's why you should be aware. And I again recommend watching additional contents um, about social media and marketing because you most probably need to be on Instagram and TikTok as well. And when we are promoting ourselves on Instagram, we don't really want to get you guys in the algorithm if you're not already using Instagram. Um, we just have, we just want to be known by people who use Instagram on a daily basis. So it's not like we are trying to move our uh, viewers to Instagram. It's just like we want to have a larger audience. So it's not something <laughs> sinister. <laughs> oh yeah, and you're, it's important to be visible for people. Because then, if you are visible as a brand, this people may like you, like you better. Uh, I was interviewing someone yesterday, and he mentioned that uh, he saw us because we ordered water from uh, one of the the influencers here in Bulgaria, which is totally random, but yeah. it, it it's actually it's actually helpful. So yeah, and yeah, if you expect to start posting on LinkedIn because the business is there, the the, the businesses are there, and start getting some some clients straight out from your your post that's most likely not happening yeah it's such a long long running game that you might be posting right now on instagram and someone that is working in a company uh see your your post and let's say in four years he may quit your job and start a company and become your potential customer in let's say two years or i don't know yeah. it's such a long game that you can really predict what is the best place to to post and, and if you don't know what to do, just start consuming similar businesses to you on Instagram and oh TikTok yeah. and just see what they're doing and you can start by replicating them. This also actually, actually works. All right, next question. When will we see Teddy, which Teddy? Mm -hmm. in, front of, in front of the camera for a Hackcast episode, Teddy? She's shaking her head right now. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. I'm not going to promise this because I have already promised way too much. <laughs> Seven episodes. Right? Yeah, something like this <laughs> for the next season, for the next seasons. But uh, we'll see. We we want to put that in front of the camera as long as she wants to be in front of the camera. That's that's the deal. Next question. Uh, oh. Just a second. You can see Teddy in uh, our other videos. So we have vlogs. We have way more videos that she actually starts and ends sometimes. So... You can you can see Teddy there. Watch our vlogs. Yeah, Teddy's there. Next question. I'm still watching the first season, and I really appreciate that you discuss the intern trainee topic here. So, has anything changed in relation to interns trainees since the time of the episode launch? Oh wow, that was some time ago. First season. Yeah. Like five years ago, probably something like this. It's not five years ago. It is. It is. I think it's 2018. It's yeah. almost five years ago. Yeah. yeah, my daughter is four years old now. Mind blowing. Yeah. Time flies. <laughs> so, have we changed anything to our approach of training juniors and interns? What was our approach five years ago? <laughs> How are we doing it right now? Um, I don't think that a lot of things changed. We definitely upgrade the process and uh, are doing some, some 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 new things from five years ago, but. It's overall the same. We are having people joining teams that have technical team lead and the technical team lead is taking care for developing this particular person for the career development. Now, everything is way more explicit. We have different positions, different uh, things that you need to know in order to jump to the other position. Uh, but I think it's it's overall the same. We we learn by 
by doing and we uh, have the team lead spend a lot of time with the junior person in order to help him with different tasks, do code reviews, do um, a lot of things with the junior person in order to to teach him. Perhaps the ch one of the changes, one of the big changes is that we've made the requirements to um, advance in your position explicit yeah. instead of implicit. And we have them written down or most of them. So that's one of the things that changed. But otherwise, what we did five years ago, I guess, still works. So we didn't have to change it and we're growing our team and our interns are becoming mid-level and senior developers, which is great. So yeah. that means it works. Our interns that were interns five years ago. Uh, I think the thing that has actually changed was we are right now really focused on if the if the interns and juniors are not working in a team with an existing client, an existing project where you can learn by doing, then we have internal and external tools that are actually useful and actually being used. And we are putting those interns working on those tools. And it's, again, uh, a great learning opportunity because you're doing something that is actually being used by other folks. And if you do a bad job, you're going to know. And I think this is we have more focus on this right now. Yeah. We have a lot of, uh, we have some internal tools. We have a lot of ideas for different tools and we are uh, aiming uh, towards that. Have people build tools that are actually used so they can learn better before they are, before they join a team. All right. Next question. Do you have a data science, data analytics team? And if you do, are you hiring? How is the interview process structured? How to prepare for it, and so on and so forth. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, a data analytics team right now. Uh, we are doing some data analytics uh, work for uh, from time to time for our clients, but it's not a dedicated team. And we will be more than happy if we grow to a certain size where we're going to need a dedicated team. The first dedicated team that we actually created, uh, and especially last year and this year, was our quality assurance team. And so far, it's working really well. We want to uh, finish the, the structure for this, and then most probably we'll start looking for, for other, other such teams. But right now, we don't have data science and data analytics. Sorry. All right. There's another question here. What does a typical data hacksoft look like? In, ah, in oh, the same yeah. seventh question. Yeah. That's right. Well, you read it, you answer it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we do have a video on that. Actually, we have a video on a typical uh, week for a Eastern, what was it called? <laughs> a week in the life of an Eastern, Eastern European, European software, software development company. Yeah. So we have a full video on that. You can check it out. It's great. Yeah, this this title is not really good, isn't it? We need to change <laughs> We need yeah. to change the title. Yeah, this this title is on me. So yeah, uh, come and mention this video. Watch it, and you will see. Hello. Next question. Hello. I just want to tell you that you're doing a very good job. I like your content a lot, and as a student who is still learning, you're helping me a lot. That's great. My question which I have wanted to ask you is, how did you decide to do this YouTube and what motivates you during bad times about the company? Thank you very much. Okay, there are two different questions, right? Yeah. That are independent. Um, how we decided to do YouTube. It was Rado again. <laughs> Let's do YouTube. And I was like, oh, that sounds nice. Let's do it. <laughs> YouTube is a great way to show 
who you are as a person and to show who you are as a company in a format that allows us to express to actually express ourselves first and second i think we just have affinity for video content yes and as most things in the company started we didn't really think about the long-term positive effect that it may yeah. have over the company it just sounded a, as a good idea let's just test yeah. it we did a couple episodes with i think your phone without without even a proper setup uh, and it was it going was good, good. yeah and we decided to uh, continue doing this then we had a pause and then we, we started again uh, but yeah we realized the long-term positive effects over the company like way after we started yep so i think that's another thing of being being proactive just test different things that sounds nice and see what's what's going to come come out and i will give something practical here you know how everyone do uh, window shopping on internet. Like if you want to buy something, you just open different pages, different stores, different blogs. You, you consume content, you read articles, and then you make a decision. And sometimes for us as a business, as a software development uh, company, clients and employees, they do the same. Mm -hmm. And if you give them the opportunity to see who we really are because what you're seeing right now this this is this is who we are it's not acting it's not something like this and youtube gives us the opportunity to do just that and we also have a lot of crazy ideas for content with um, some really good titles that are in the pipeline so uh, youtube also gives us the opportunity to do that and have fun yep and one more question uh, what motivates you during bad times about the company about the company okay for me it's seeing the progress in people that's what really motivates me and keeps me keeps me working is helping people grow and become better uh, not not even better at only at uh, programming but better as, as people as profession as professionalists uh, this really keeps me motivated uh, and since this is something that we really value in the company um, I'm really happy to work and i really rarely uh, have a bad times because it's really motivating to see how people grow it's rather uh, bad times affect you because we we have we do have bad times yeah yeah at the company okay yeah but you cannot escape them but it's really how they affect you yeah i agree but but again having such a nice people in the company and see how how they grow really keeps you motivated come on do you have something to add I was just thinking what was the last thing that I registered as a bad time in the company. Uh, and I think that I, I don't I don't think about problems as having a bad time in the company. I think about them as something that you have to solve and you have to find the best way to solve that problem with all of the information that you have. So it's I don't really think I have bad times in the company. It's just trying to advance one thing or another and sometimes it's hard sometimes it's tiring but that's just what job isn't i mean ev everything's tiring so yeah I, I don't really i don't really know we do enjoy providing value to our clients we really do this is what we aim to do with all of our clients and we are also people oriented so uh, the combination of those two things as long as we do this uh, I think this helps us move through bad times. Sometimes you have a bad time while 
writing code or working on a project. Uh, but personally, what motivates me is I know that if I spend a couple of hours to solve the software problem or speed up this page or make something, someone's life easier, then probably a hundred people on the next day will get their job done faster or easier or with less um, frustration. So that, that really motivates me to, to do it. Again, something practical. It really helps you if you can detach from a certain situation that's causing some bad times. Uh, again, this is coming from, I'm on an influencer uh, role today from Joko. I will link to if you can detach yourself from the situation and uh, give yourself some time, even sometimes it's just uh, go out for a walk for an hour, then you will have a better approach at solving the problems at hand than just being frustrated about them. All right. We are changing the topic. What do you think about HTMX? This is like HTML with an X at the end. Um, I know you use React a lot and HTMX is a community that is pushing a lot on another way of doing front-end. Yes, we're also using Angular and Android and iOS and Vue for some things. So... Uh, I have some experience. Do, do, have you, do you have experience with HTMX? Because I'm, follow I'm following the community. I have listened to some of, uh, some of the podcasts. The general idea of HTMX is that you can uh, basically do um, AJAX calls and some interactivity with just HTML uh, with certain attributes and a, a library. And this is uh, extremely popular right now in Django. And my opinion so far is it's great for when you're doing rapid prototyping and for example you're sticking with Django and Django admin and you need some forms and interactivity just, just to show something to someone. It's great but once you go beyond the standard let's submit a form to a backend then the tooling of react and the rest of the front-end libraries is just years ahead of htmx and i believe htmx will catch up but until then uh since we are building quite complex front-ends you just need a tool like react a framework and all of the community and libraries around react so I'm positive about HTMX. Uh, for me, is a rapid prototyping tool, but by no means is a replacement to React. It's just not mature enough. Mm -hmm. I don't have a production experience, but I'm following the trend and reading a lot of articles and tutorials. When you see a tutorial or an article, it sounds great, but I think that if you're doing something more more, more complex, uh, you're probably going to have some troubles. So I will do the safe bet on React for now. Yeah. And choose React every time I need to do something that has the potential to get complex. I'm actually scared to start a front end for a production app only using HTMX because I don't think it's ready to do a full blown app. So if you start with HTMX and it's going great and you start building a couple of pages and then you have a requirement that HTMX doesn't support, what do you do? You have to adopt another library, be it jQuery or jQuery. something heavier, heavier. Yeah. Uh, so you immediately get this coupling of JavaScript front-end libraries, which never scales well. I mean, it's it just doesn't. So I, I don't know if HTMX is ready. I try to follow the trends. 
um, I could be wrong, absolutely. But I'm just I'm just scared to do it right now. The moment you start building uh, framework tooling around a certain library is the moment that you are uh, kind of approximating either React or Angular or Vue, but you will approximate it in a less stable and mature way. Like this is yeah. right now my general feeling about all of this. Rapid prototyping, some forms, especially in Django context, is great. Which is your favorite event streaming framework and why did you choose it among other solutions? YouTube. <laughs> Twitch. No, no, no. Event streaming framework, not platform. Oh, this, this was oh, a, a low-hanging okay. fruit for a joke, so good job. <laughs> I think we have some experience with Kafka uh, that's generally taught us an event streaming framework, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of that, not really sure. Well, is the message queues defined as event streaming frameworks? This is a certain way of um, moving data and yeah. processing data. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. ETLs, yeah. things like this. Yeah. Well, I guess we just didn't have enough troubles with different uh, streaming frameworks to, to have a favorite one because everything that we tried so far just, just works. It streams the event. Probably we, we, we didn't face the uh, needed scale in order to start having preferences there. Yeah. But everything that is like major and mature, it, it works. I'm not sure we, we've had that much experience with um, event-oriented architectures because mm -hmm. these event string frameworks usually follow the event-oriented architectures. Uh, it's, again, really good on, on paper. Uh, there are some really good implementations, but our practical experience uh, extend to, extends to using Kafka for, for some of the applications. I think that's, that's it. That's the answer right now. Yeah. Most probably we will gain some experience and we will answer this question in a better way. All right. We will go above an hour, I think. <laughs> Do you use the same operating system for all developers' computers? If so, why did you choose it over the other options? If you let every developer choose their own operating system, how do you keep your developer environments consistent across every PC that they have to run on? That's a good question. Docker. No. <laughs> okay, that's a good question. When we started, we were all Linux guys. So whenever we, I mean, we, we were all using Ubuntu and we were pretty happy with this at this time. Uh, now that a lot of people are joining the company, uh, they have different preferences. And what we are trying to keep with is Linux and Mac OS. We are trying to avoid Windows because we don't really have a lot of experience using Windows professionally. And my opinion, true. Mm -hmm, my opinion is that it's really easy to compromise your security using Windows. You can easily download something that's just an exe and it starts and it's yeah. making troubles. You can easily, uh, I don't know, you can easily try to uh, mm, install something that is harmful to your operational system. And the thing is that you cannot develop uh, iOS applications using anything but macOS. Yeah. So some of our people are using macOS and they prefer using it. The other half is using Ubuntu or some kind of Debian-based operational system. Yeah, but we don't really have a use case for Windows. I mean, if we were using the Windows stack, if we were writing the software that requires Windows to be run on, then 
perhaps we would use Windows, but we just don't do that. We are in the Python, Django, JavaScript world, so... You would be surprised how many people in this community use Windows? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. I know. And and you can use Windows with uh, Wizzle 2 or whatever it was called, so where you can run the sub Linux subsystem mm -hmm. inside Windows. You can basically run Ubuntu inside Windows very easily. You can uh, get the job done, but I think it's because we were uh, back uh, back in the days uh, Linux guys, and we decided to go with Ubuntu because it's perhaps the most user-friendly Linux distribution, yeah. and it's right now kind of indistinguishable from Windows when it comes to user interface and what you can do with it. And it also gives you quite a lot of tools that are, how to say, native developer tools. You're, mm -hmm. We're... Every, all of the software that we write runs on some kind of Linux, uh, yeah. Linux system and Linux machine, so it's better to have this as your development environment. Of course, there are folks using Macs, and I think we are slowly but surely moving in that direction because we're kind of disappointed with with Lenovo laptops that are not. Yeah, which we're Apple kind of disappointed yeah, with, with are, Lenovo. I think we have something like twenty to thirty percent of uh, defect laptops. Yes, thirty percent over the last two years yeah. we stand back for being mm, fixed. Yeah. So that's the question, and Kevin answered the the general question, Docker, and also make sure that your folks are well trained and they know what they're doing. Uh, if we are, for example, if you're a backend folk and you're working with Python and Django, you should be able to properly set up a Python environment, and we have guidelines. We use PyEMV and virtual environments. We have a set of tools that we know that are working and it's not that big of a problem. And if you want to run something that's not very familiar to you, you just use Docker. All right, first page down. It went down. Next question. I was wondering whether there are some special secure code guidelines that you follow in Hacksoft. And in general, how do you handle security related problems in your development pipeline? All right. All right. I see two different things that here. First thing is about um, keeping your, your machine secure and being secure as a user of, of the internet and having a security policy in Hacksoft of what to do on w and what not to do on your um, laptop. Yeah. And the other thing is about having security in mind when you are writing software, yeah. which is a huge topic. And we we don't really have this uh, put, put down anywhere, but we have a lot of trainings and um, we, we discuss security a lot inside the company in order to prevent um, different different leaks and different uh, security vulnerabilities. Uh, the good thing about Django is that it's keeping you safe from most of the well-known common attacks. But but again, writing software, you always need to keep security in mind. And uh, Well, it's part of our software development yeah. process. This, they're discussing security, figuring out the security of a specific feature. Uh, when working with, so for example, AWS, we follow... Uh, Basically, the best practice is there mm -hmm. with creating accounts with just the access that you need for this particular job and not just here's the yeah. <laughs> super user admin account for, for the AWS account and go use those keys everywhere. So, And we also have internal security guidelines like everyone has a work laptop and the work laptop is for work personal stuff on personal laptop. Uh, Multi-factor authentication enforced on all, all Hacksoft-related accounts and we give 
only the required access to certain things. Mm -hmm. Our hard drives are encrypted. Uh, encry encrypted hard, dri hard drives, yep. Yeah, yeah. Everything like this. All right. Next question, and this is the final question from YouTube. It's in Bulgarian, so I'm going to read it in Bulgarian. Why though? Why? If you want, you can translate it. Здравейте! Ще завършите ли курса Python Stoyano Forever? Hey guys, are you going to continue the to to finish the Python Stoyano Forever course? What the Python One One Forever course? Oh yeah. <laughs> so what's what's the Python One One Forever course? Good question. It is a <laughs> programming course that Radu started uh, recording re recording videos. It's basically in YouTube, in I think in the Hack Bulgaria channel. Yes. 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 Yeah. You it's can. in Bulgarian. It's in Bulgarian. Yeah. You can find it there. It's not finished. We just need to find the time finishing it. Yeah. Uh, this is basically when we decided to stop making uh, courses, uh, live courses in our. Um, academy we decided to record the videos with the content and the tasks and basically uh, keep it forever but it's just not finished yet the title was inspired by batman like you have <laughs> batman forever and then okay. you have python 101 forever okay <laughs> uh the thing is we want to finish it but we don't have the time and that's that's the truth we need to pay proper attention while recording because in order to record one such video um, we we need to prepare the materials we need to prepare the examples we need to prepare the slides and then we need to properly record it and then someone needs to uh, edit the recording and it's let's say five-step process which uh, when we had the time we crunched as many videos as we could but the truth is right now we just don't have the time and it's something that I uh, it kind of sometimes keeps me awake at night because we haven't finished this course and we have promised this course. It's completely free, of course. Uh, so if we do well with our business and our business grows, we will finish the course. If we continue growing the business and we are calling our daily struggles, uh, we will, we're not going to finish the course soon. That's, that's the thing about it. Right? Yeah. Questions from LinkedIn. Well, we're almost there. We have five and oh, ten more questions. When to expect season four? Since this is the last episode for season three. Great question. Um, our marketing people had a secret meeting discussing season four. It's not secret. <laughs> <laughs> and the only one that participated on this table is Rado. So I guess Rado can tell us more about season four. Season four will be coming soon, so keep an eye on our YouTube channel for the promo. All right, this one is answered. Next question: What to expect for season four? It's you again. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. We have a great concept. Again, we're aiming for ten episodes. Uh, we're going to record it, start recording it soon. So just keep an eye on our, our YouTube channel. It's going to be really interesting. We're going to. Uh, improve the format or change the format but you you will see you will see we have really good ideas and that's why we're doing seasons because we want to experiment with different ideas and different topics so season four is coming for sure keep an eye on our youtube channel very political answer you gave zero information <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of learned this uh, by uh, osmosis if you if you live in bulgaria <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, next question. What are the organizational tools that uh, you would recommend? Could you share a few tips and tricks from the POV of well-seasoned technical team leads? That's you guys. All right. So yeah, being a technical team lead is mostly about being organized. And for me, great tools are, of course, calendar for managing your, your meetings, the to-do list for putting things down in order not to forget your tasks. Uh, when it comes to technical part, we use Trello to manage our, not only Trello, but my favorite thing is Trello to manage your uh, team, keep track of your backlog and have an ego eye on what's going on, who is working on what. Uh, communication is, I guess, the most important thing. We use Slack and my personal favorite is Google Meet for doing my uh, yep. meetings, probably because Zoom is not working great for Linux. Um, what else? Am I, am I missing something? I see this as a two-part question. One of it, one of the questions is how do you organize yourself mm -hmm. as a team lead, and the other is how do you organize your team or teams. Okay. Um, so for the first part, you mentioned most of those. Mm -hmm. I also use a notebook to write down things. All so right. physical one. Yeah, physical okay. notebook. Uh, so email, you have to keep your email empty. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it's very liberating to have an empty e email. Uh, you also need to learn how to use a to-do list. It's great. Once you uh, once you get up to speed with using a to-do list, it's awesome. And then um, the notebook helps a lot. And um, what else? I quit paper like a couple of years ago, but I can definitely see your point in having something that's not on your screen to, to put things down. Yeah, your calendar also helps a lot. Yeah, managing your time is important. Uh, we're using quite a lot of Whimsical. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a great tool for diagrams, for basically keeping track of documentation. Uh, they're kind of going uh, the way of Notion, but uh, we we were using Whimsical from uh, basically the very beginning when it was just a diagramming tool, but it's very snappy. It works really, really well. And I must say here, you need to be organized. Calendar, to-do, email, all of whatever else works for you, you need to be extremely organized. Uh, and there is no excuse of being disorganized when you are in a leadership position. And the key thing here is to know that this is just a skill that you can learn. If you are disorganized, this does not mean you will be forever disorganized, but you just have to put in the effort and sometimes force yourself to follow your, and to use your tools, to use your to-do list, to use your calendar, uh, until the point where you know that if something's not on the calendar, it's not happening. This is very, very, like, very important. And I would highly recommend watching some of the talks of uh, Rodoslav Stankov. Yeah. Stankov. He has quite a lot of talks on this topic, and he's presenting a lot of tools. Like he's, for me, he is going overboard with with the tools that he's using. But this is working for him. And the thing is, you need to find what's working for you and just be well organized. That's extremely important. Yeah. And the second part is organizing your team, which has a whole lot of different yeah. tools. Uh, it's, it's the same. You have to show how, how you're doing it, and then you have to start using yeah, Trello or Jira. We prefer Trello because it's more snappy, mm -hmm. and you can basically do the same thing uh, with few additional add-ons on, on top of Trello. And again, we are our way of writing software is quite... It's a classical, pure agile. We don't follow a specific methodology. We don't do Scrum. 
little many things. No, that's it's really bad. Uh, and we just follow whatever makes sense for this particular team, for this particular moment, yeah. for this particular project, for this particular client. Sometimes I will just write summaries in Slack, mm -hmm. and this will be all we need. Sometimes I will be making a lot of uh, whimsical diagrams. Yeah. Sometimes I will be keeping Catrello really up to date, but depends on the context. And this is the skill that you need to learn. Don't follow Scrum but blindly. Don't follow Agile blindly. See what works for you. And you're most likely to find yourself in a position where you use those tools for your personal life too, which is really funny when you, yeah, for because example, they work. Yeah, when you add, for example, alongside your daily tasks to add something, for example, hey, don't forget to buy uh, something from the shop when you get home. Yeah. But I definitely use almost, I have some personal travel boards even for, for, for managing my, my own things that are not even uh, work-related work related in any way. Uh, and it's great. Uh, being organized is great and you don't really have an excuse for being unorganized if you are aiming for a lead position. Yep. All right. Next question. When you start working on a mature code base, how do you come around the accumulated technical debt? When and do you ev ever suggest a complete rewrite? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, every time I'm starting to work on um, a mature code base, on something that uh, was done by someone else, I'm always having this initial um, struggle to rewrite everything. <laughs> you know, yes. I see something that I don't like and I'm, oh, this complete garbage, let me rewrite it in. Ah, it's going to happen in one day. But I'm always trying to push myself down and say, hey, this is not the important thing right now. Let's look around at some uh, tickets in Trello for, for different pieces in the technical depth. Try to evaluate which are important, which are things we can live with, which are, let's say, security vulnerabilities and we, we need to fix as soon as possible. Uh, prioritize and start, start executing. So... Um, we have suggested complete rewrites in a couple projects, I think, but that's not normally the case we we go with. If you have an existing project and this existing project needs to start doing something else, that's kind of close to what's doing what the project's doing right now, but it's not the same. Yeah. And the code base is really um, like all over the place. Mm -hmm. Then a complete rewrite. It's almost always the better choice, yeah. at least for me. And we're talking about smaller scale projects, mm -hmm. something that's been uh, 15 years in the making. It's not going to have a red. Then you're going to approach it with a uh, different architecture. You're going to start extracting services, not, not microservices, just service-oriented architecture. Uh, you're just going to extract different chunks and you're just going to do that little by little. But I think if the, if the project is doing well uh, in terms of this is the software and the software is doing its job well, then you gradually, little by little, with backwards compatibility in mind, you can start improving things by basically figuring out which things need to belong together, mm -hmm. writing tests, and then improving and improving and improving. And in always, for me, backwards compatibility is the key here. Instead of refactoring, I will be writing something new and I will be plugging this inside the existing framework and inside the existing project and then I will be slowly uh, removing the old parts. An alternative implementation. Yes. And this helps a lot. Sometimes clients have a uh, proof of concept project which they use to get um, some initial investment for mm -hmm. their project 
And this proof of concept project is something you can easily throw away and start anew. Yep. So in these cases, we really consider it. And sometimes we do it. We've done it in the past. Uh, but usually we just want to provide the client with uh, business value instead of just spending three months to rewrite something that was already working. Yep, that's that's really well said. And again, uh, you, we have you have to balance the business value and the actual state of the software and make sure that you have a plan for how to approach everything. Next question. How do you see the future of the IT industry in Bulgaria? Pros and cons. I personally think... Yeah, go on, Khan, sorry. No, I was just going to say it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one, but I personally think that the IT industry here is great. We have some, some big companies. We have some, some smaller companies. We have the universities that is uh, doing the, the education. We have some, some, some good academies for um, getting new people into the, in, in, into the IT industry. And I don't think it's going to, to get bigger and bigger with the same pace but I cannot think of any cons about the, the IT industry in, in Bulgaria. What do you think? We should record in one of the next seasons. This is an interesting topic and we should like expand on it, but I think... Do you promise? Yeah. <laughs> the IT industry is kind of... It, it, is, it is what it is. Uh, it's, it's, it has gotten bigger. It's not as big as the other industries that we have in Bulgaria. For me, it's way too centralized in Sofia. Almost oh, yeah. all companies oh, yeah. are here. Almost all universities are here. Uh, all academies are also kind of here. True. Although the academies are doing uh, mostly right, right now online education. But I think we are still too dependent on Sofia, like the capital True. city. And I don't see how this is going to change unless someone picks like the 90% of folks that uh, graduate the academies uh, here in, or in, in the universities and follows them up with guided proper education and training so they can uh, become marketable to uh, employers. I think this, this is a big problem right now. There are a lot of juniors looking for a job and they will find one I mean, it's going to be really hard, especially if you're not living in uh, Sofia and you are changing your entire career. You're kind of upskilling yourself in software development and programming. It's really hard for an employer to bet on you if you cannot come to the office and just be attached to someone and you're living across across Bulgaria. I think this is the biggest problem. This is a big problem right now. Although the industry is way more... Uh, fine with you being outside Sofia right now with the remote positions and uh, I think as long like as you're not junior yeah as long as you're not junior but I don't see any problem of being a junior come to Sofia for a couple of years start uh, working here and you then have a family and well established life in uh, Targoviste for example or Dobrich yeah that's or Varna that's true that's true but but again the, the industry I think is way more friendly uh, after the uh, pandemic about um, working remotely and yeah, probably it's not really easy to find a job, a remote job for, for a junior, but it's easier than before, I think. Well, I think it's going to grow the art industry, but let's let's tackle this topic uh, when we have more time. All right. All right. Next question, we're almost done. 
I am interested to know how you will tackle the growing pains when prioritizing employee well-being. Balancing expansion and nurturing your team can be challenging, so so I'm curious about your plans. Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, you you cannot avoid it. So you have to be quite honest with everyone that there are going to be growing pains and uh, this means that employee well-being may suffer from time to time. You just have to be quite honest and you have to be really good at identifying problems and problem and solving those problems. And if you have a good culture where people will signal that something's not working really well and they know that when they signal it someone will take care of it mm -hmm. someone will address this problem because in most big companies i will signal that something's not fine the hr is going to say oh we will look into this do not worry we got you and then nothing will happen mm -hmm. you will signal it three four or five more times and then you will just leave yeah uh, so it's really important to whenever there is a problem to actually sit down and address it you know just um, how do you say in English uh, do nothing uh -huh. kind of show that you're going to do something but you're actually not planning on doing something Yeah. so I think this, this is my question you just have to be honest and you just need and you need to be uh, addressing the problems that are arising during your growing period instead of gaslighting people I think that's 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 the word for it yeah I'm gonna be banal here and say that if you've created an environment where people know that they can do mistakes and not be punished by those by you for doing mistakes and learn when doing mistakes and if you've created an environment where people can be honest about what they think about the environment and they see that they their voice is heard uh, people are going to tell you about the issues that you have with your company when growing but if you've created an environment that's hostile to uh, people's opinions, you're going to have a hard time knowing about those issues. Yeah, I would say that probably the one-on-one the -on -one meetings are the best tool for, for creating such an environment, having this time where you just sit one-on-one -on -one with someone, talk about random things, talk about everything that the person you're speaking with wants to talk about yeah. is probably the, the great possible way to hear their feedback, even though it's not always direct they may mention something that you want to start discussion around and understand what's the actual pain and you need to have the reputation that problems are going to be addressed again again it's really important otherwise people will just know that it's blah 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 and they will stop complaining next question have you read the phoenix phoenix project i suppose it's a book i would really like to hear your thoughts on this on that book i haven't i haven't read it no me neither Sorry, Arrow. Rather, are you going to promise an episode once you no. read? <laughs> <laughs> no. Can you get your marketing girls to tell us more about your marketing strategy? Are you going to promise? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is the same answer as uh, Teddy in front of camera. So Teddy and Tiveta, they're great. We are. You should be jealous of us uh, because uh, because of our marketing team. They're really, really great. Uh, if they want to. We will do that. If they don't want to, we won't do that. So that's that's the answer. And once again, as Kamen uh, told you, you should watch our other videos where we have uh, more of Teddy and Ivetka. Yeah. And I think the bonus questions we are going to leave for another time because they're uh, 
they are good questions, but they kind of require more time to answer properly. So we have bonus questions that are going to come in future seasons. Comment. You have written something here. No, someone else has written <laughs> something on my. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's well, someone wrote on comments uh, sheet. Big Joel does a no dobem vopros. Well, I suppose we're not going to hear this uh, no dobem vopros uh, right now. Uh, how is no dobem vopros in English? Uncomfortable question. There are going to be no uncomfortable questions. And we made it. We answer all of your questions. Thank you very much. This is actually really helpful for us because your questions give us good ideas about future content and topics for future episodes where we can go into way more details and discuss way more things. So thank you again for your questions. This was Hackcast Season 3. We talked about the business side of things. Uh, it was, again, for us super helpful because in order to prepare for the episode, we need to be well aware of what we're going to talk about. Yep. And we will come back for season four. And of course, we will pick 10 of you and send you the beautiful Hacksoft swag boxes. Like, subscribe, and comment something. If you wish. Yeah. Bye.